Today's podcast sponsor is Santa Cruz Medicinals, and it's a company I'm proud to talk about because I've been using their CBD products for years. We use a CBD beef tallow to cook our elk steaks, and their CBD cream is one of the best things I've used post-run to help ease the pain in my muscles. They make an array of potent CBD formulas. To be effective, CBD has to be dosed properly, and Santa Cruz Medicinals has those potent dosages. They make CBD deep sleep caps, pain creams, magnesium, beef tallow, which can be used as a moisturizer or for cooking, MCT oil, and more. Check them out at scmedicinals.com and use the code KEEPHAMMERING for 15% off and free shipping in the USA. I think a lot of you guys will be interested in this next sponsor. First Light Farms is a New Zealand-based farm that ships elk meat straight to your door. The reality is not everyone's going to fill their tag every year. So First Light Farms is ready to fill your freezer with lean protein that is high in iron, zinc, and B vitamins. To tell you the truth, I've been pretty surprised at how tender the meat is from First Light Farms. And I guess it's because they have no natural predators in New Zealand, so the elk live a pretty low-stress life, and you can taste that in the meat. They're offering listeners of the podcast a 15% discount using code CAM15 at stateclub.com. Dot firstlight.farms. The link will be in the show notes of the podcast for those interested. Every step I take, I move my truth. Every time they tell me stop, I use every comment, hate that makes my feel. Gather up my energy and boom. I hear them talking, saying the way that I move is so reckless. That is a part of my mind I've been blessed with. Giving my blood so I am relentless. All right. Well, this is the Keep Hammering Collective with Joel Courtney. How are you doing? Doing great. Yeah. Yeah. A little, uh, little tight in the yeah, chest. Right. From yesterday's workout, but feel great. We had a epic lift run shoot day yesterday. That so we did. Fun. Yeah. Thank you for coming to Oregon. And I learned that you had been through Oregon a number of times growing up. I have been. Yes. Uh, when I was traveling to uh, and from Los Angeles to my home in Moscow, Idaho we would drive up and down the West coast. So mm-hmm. I've been through Eugene multiple times. I've yeah. never, I've never stopped. I don't think, uh, we would usually stop in, uh, like Northern California. Mm. Um, we would do about two 10 hour days and then that's the road trip. So what about when you say, dad, I gotta go to the bathroom. Then you had like a gallon water jug back there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we would, we would pretty much knock it out quick. Yeah. Uh, rule in the family is you only stop for gas. Gotcha. And then if you need to go, then Do that's then. when you go <laughs> and you better not need to go before then. <laughs> that's, that's how we did road trips. Well, Hey, I, I know how it works because, uh, I had kids too, and there's a pr- pretty epic story about I was doing a marathon over in, um, in the gorge, and my kids were young, and so my mom was coming over to watch. It's my first marathon, actually, and uh, one of the kids had to go to the bathroom and uh, trying to hold it, trying to hold it, and you know when you're a kid, you like have some pee stream that you could you can peek like across this room. <laughs> yes, seriously. you know you won't you don't know it, but when you get older, that changes. Anyway, so trying to go in a pop bottle or a Gatorade bottle or something, and and it got loose and shot all up over the, I think, on my mom's head and on the ceiling of the car. And yeah, so I mean, that's under pressure, but you can't stop. Yeah. Can't stop. Got to get to the destination. Yeah, seriously. Got to keep driving. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, 
I was saying you're my first. I said you're my first movie star before we started recording, and then you said, "Well, no, Cowboy was here." You've had Cowboy, and it's true. Cowboy has been a star in movies. Yeah, and uh, um, but I mean, I I don't know. You you're kind of known this your entire life, and essentially has been acting in movies, right? It has. Yes, I started at the age of fourteen, uh, and I'm. 13 years into a career, yeah. which feels wrong to say. Right. Because, uh, I mean, first off, I'm only 27. So mm -hmm. like, that's just weird. Yeah. Uh, to conceptualize that that is um, how long I've been doing this. And then on top of that, it's just so fun. Um, you know, uh, the old saying, uh, love what you do and you'll never work a day in your life. Right. Uh, I kind of disagree. I don't think if you're working hard, then like you don't love it enough. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you know, I think there's a little, there's an ounce of truth to the old saying. Yeah. Yeah. So you, what's the moral to the story that you don't feel like you, you're working cause you enjoy it. I Is have so what? much fun. Uh, six to 10 hour days. Yeah. Um, 14, 12, it doesn't really matter. They're just fun. Yeah. I have okay. a good time. Well, that's uh, awesome. It helps to have a good cast and crew, mm -hmm. but, uh, I've always seen from my perspective that I can't control other people's uh, experience on set. Mm -hmm. And so all I need to do is handle my mindset. Right. And um, if someone's having a bad day, just don't let it drag me down because mm -hmm. that'll only make my day even worse. Because it is it is still work. You know, it I is. mean, so for some people who maybe don't have your attitude, they're just going to work. Mm -hmm. Right. And some days you have good days at work. Some days you have bad days. Some days you're not into it. Yeah. Some days you got things going on at home. So that does for some actors probably weigh in on the performance, I, I would guess. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and from the acting side of it, we are we're we're babied. Mm -hmm. We are taken care yeah, of. Pampered. A we little bit. are pampered to yeah. the max. And it just feels bad sometimes because. Mm -hmm. The crew are the people that are working harder. They're there before us on set. Mm -hmm. They are leaving after us and their days are longer. So when I say I have a 16 hour day, right. that means someone had an 18 to 20 hour day. Right. And so that doesn't have their name in lights and they get no lights. Yeah. Uh, and not nearly enough rep uh, like recognition. Right. Um, so I, I catch myself complaining and, uh, not being as maybe grateful or thankful as I should be. And then I remember those people that I meet that um, are working longer days and uh, physically harder days. Uh, acting is not very physical unless you're, you know, John doing Wick. John Wick. Yeah. <laughs> and, we talked, I, yeah. I wanted you in John Wick 5 because I'm like, I think, you know, dark hair, you're young. Maybe it's like we go back to the beginning of John Wick. So... I got you cast there. Let's just uh, sprinkle that out there and yeah. see what comes back. Put it in the universe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pray about that. No, I understand. I mean, that does make sense. Um, yeah, I mean, but your perspective is a pretty healthy one because a lot of people, they think how they feel is all that matters. But you have that perspective like, well, you know, I'm actually doing this. I'm getting pampered. It is a long day, but look at all these guys yeah. putting in more time. And uh, yeah, I mean... It'd be great if everybody could see the big picture like that. 
But yeah, but even my perspective of the big picture is my way. I mean, mm-hmm. someone else might see it a little differently and there could be val- that could be valid in and of itself. True. Yeah. Um, I, well, it's crazy cause so you're starring in the movie Jesus revolution. It's been out and, uh, you know, we went and saw the movie and I was, I was sitting there watching it and I'm like, man, this is, you know, we, we've talked about this, but sometimes these faith-based movies, you know, oh, man, you want to like them and they're just like, Ooh, it's pretty corny or pretty whatever. And this one, I'm like, this is a great movie. This, these guys, I mean, what a message, what a movie. But then I was watching, I was watching you and I'm like, I don't think I know that kid. I think, <laughs> I, I think that kid might follow me. And so we're watching it. And then I come home and I look at my phone and I'm like, oh yeah, Joel Courtney. This is, yeah. I, I don't know if we'd sent messages before, but so I sent you a message and I said, Hey, just saw Jesus, Jesus revolution. Great job. And here we are. Here we are. Now we did a lift run shoot. Oh man, such a it's such a legendary day, and I have been following you for a while. Uh, I, um, I remember the first time I heard your name. I was watching uh, Rogan's show, mm-hmm. and uh, he was talking to David Goggins, and he and there was some sort of race you guys were gonna do, mm-hmm. and I think um, Joe was saying something along the lines of set a number. Right. You have to set a number if you two are going to race because you both are men that will not stop. Right. Yeah. Unless there's like a, a, a number. Yeah. Like, hey, we're going to run this far. Not open ended. Yeah. Set a mile marker that you're going to stop at. Not run till death. I'm like, who is going <laughs> to run with uh, with David Goggins? Mm-hmm. And so then I, I went and found one of your episodes. I'm like, okay, this is this guy is awesome. And I mean, it's been humbling. And uh, just the best day yesterday. Oh, I'm just great. so thankful to have um, men like you showing the younger generation how to do it. Oh, well, you did you did good. I mean, it was a it was an epic day for sure. I mean, you shot the bow first time shooting a compound and you shot so well. It was it was amazing. I mean, at the bow rack, I could see that you really Wayne wasn't there, sadly. Uh, yeah, that hurts. I was really looking forward to meeting Wayne and hearing some like wisdom from him. I know. And he, he loves to give it out and he's, he's, I mean, he's the herd bull. So no better person to have it come from, but Trent did a great job with you. Phenomenal. The bow rack had their staff is incredible, but so we got you set up and I could tell how you're shooting and I'm like, follows instructions. Well, just a kind of a natural with, uh, you know, technique and shooting and, and watching that arrow go where it's supposed to. So I was excited, but then we got out out at Wayne's and hundred yards just dialed in Yeah, watching that balloon pop was pretty sweet. One of the coolest, uh, feelings I think I've felt in a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were saying, uh, it's, it's like the most pure version of instant gratification. Yes. But it's not, it's not, not, not really, yeah. not really because it's earned, right? You know, we went to the bow rack, we mm-hmm. dialed in the bow, we set it up, um, Trent got it locked in mm-hmm. practically the point where it shoots itself. Yeah. You know, and, and that's just how good the Hoyts are. Yeah. And so, um, getting to see the balloon pop, it feels like an instant gratification because you release and it's probably two seconds. Probably not even that. Maybe not even that. Cause yeah. it's going yeah. so fast. Right. And then you see the pop and you're like, 
Yes. I know. That's so cool. That's why I love to do it because it is, it's just that marker of success and everybody, you can't help but smile, you know? I, yeah. It, is, it overcomes you. Yeah. Just like, uh, it's an explosion of joy. Maybe you were acting because you're an actor. Maybe you were actually, you weren't happy, but you like sold me on it. Is that what it was? Honestly, I didn't care. Yeah. The balloon <laughs> I, I couldn't, I couldn't give. You know? Yeah. Well, good job. <laughs> I, I bought it hook, line and seeker. Um, well, oh, I did want to say that. Uh, so this whole thing started with Jesus Revolution, and I mean, how that movie has. I just looked this morning, just so I'd have something to talk about here. But it was like over fifty million dollars in box office. How sweet does that feel? It feels amazing. Yeah, uh, and and that is for multiple reasons. Um, I mean, fifty million is that's a big number. Yeah. So awesome. in and of itself, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, from another direction, uh, we filmed for six weeks. And so uh, I was on set every single day except for one or two, I mm. want to say. Yeah. And so uh, being on uh, almost every single day, uh, seeing the crew work every single day, uh, seeing the directors put in their heart and soul into this film, praying over it, um, seeing the producers put all of themselves into it, uh, it felt really incredible watching the box office numbers go up, mm -hmm. seeing uh, the payoff for so many people's hard work. Right. Uh, for for years, uh, John Irwin, the director, uh, he also wrote it. He's been wanting to make this film for almost eight years, mm. and um, and so having a story on his heart for such a long period of time, I am beyond thrilled for him. Right. You know, to see this, uh, this piece of art that he is so passionate about and he's given so much time to, mm -hmm. uh, be a, an enormous success. Right. And then also on top of that, uh, the Hollywood projections for our opening weekend were, six seven maybe eight million mm -hmm. maybe eight right and then we hit 15.7 million in the opening weekend and so it felt pretty good to like not considering the projections haters mm -hmm. but it's good to prove your haters wrong yeah no <laughs> you know, it, that's that a, always feels that's good a great feeling <laughs> it is yeah it's just a little bonus i mean yeah. but i think the the point you made about the the director and his vision and seeing that success that's amazing but then also yeah a little bonus is yeah you guys were wrong too in this projection um what do you think the success of jesus revolution means i mean it is you know we spoke of it a little bit but you know in this day and age you wonder where faith is fitting in society mm -hmm. i mean we have a dollar bill that says what does it say one nation under God. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, it feels like the powers that be are trying everything they can to push us away from God and away from faith and away yeah. from. So what do you think that the success of this movie means? Uh, I think that the success of this show and this film uh, across the nation uh, shows that there's a desire for uh, an art form that shows a faith that uh, someone recognizes as their own. 
Mm-hmm. I think the Christian community is out there. Mm-hmm. And like you were saying earlier, some faith-based films are kind of cheesy or mm-hmm. low production value, uh, a little, um, not gimmicky, but just like a little less than, right? you know? Uh, and I mean, huge shout out to Lionsgate for taking a chance on a film called Jesus Revolution. Right. That's, a, that's going right that's after amazing. it. That's amazing. That's going um, right, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so many people read the script, recognized uh, this is uh, going to reach an audience that we need to see if they're still active. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was a little bit of um, a trial run for studios to see if the Christian community was still going to theaters and uh, putting their dollars towards supporting films that they want to see. Mm -hmm. Because it seems, even to me sometimes, like the Christian community has just given up on Hollywood and that uh, they're just letting it go. Uh, But if you take your dog out of the race, then all that's going to be in theaters is something that you don't want to see. Yeah. You know, um, I think there was an article saying that Jesus Revolution made more money than three or four of the films nominated for best film for Oscars. Wow. And so it's like you see the the difference between a film that does well with an audience and then films that Hollywood makes to make Hollywood feel good and look good. And right. say, we're doing art. You know, and I think Jesus Revolution successfully did uh, artistically put out a um, a beautiful faith based film uh, that doesn't pull any punches. You know, um, it doesn't show that life gets easy once you become a Christian, right? Uh, and it's not judgmental. It's just full of grace and love. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a story that America is dying to see. Yeah, I thought it was good, too, that, you know, every every church, they struggle with, you know, new people coming in because you got mm-hmm. your 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 members have been there for a million years. Yeah. Right. They, every Sunday they're there and maybe they're quiet and they're fine. They support. And then you got new people coming in. How do we get the younger generation involved? Mm-hmm. And I think I think the movie showed that, I mean, how that dynamic works. And it can be challenging sometimes, you know, because. The new, the younger generation is much different than the older, older generation, yeah. but we're still part of the same Christian community. And how, how does that, how do you coexist? And, and as the movie, there are growing pains in like a, a church move, yeah. had churches around here that grew and were just huge. And then you're like, man, are, are they uh, just appealing? Are they trying to water it down to appeal to more people mm. or is it? Are we actually reading the Bible and going by scripture or is it more of a feel good thing? Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, I got kind of picked up on that in the movie about there's going to be challenges. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not easy, but if it is, if, if it is um, rooted in, in faith and scripture that it, it can work and it did work. And the movie, I think, I don't know. I, I thought the story was great. I thought, the actors, including you, it was just so believable and so real. And I was curious. Now I know your story a little bit, but um, you are a Christian, mm-hmm. and so that was a pretty natural role for you to play. It felt like. How about the other actors? I mean, 
they come or they feel the same about about Christianity as you? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm Christian. Uh, Jonathan Rumi's Catholic. Um, Anna Grace Barlow is Christian. Uh, I mean, we're just we we all have maybe different uh, ways of. Uh, that we came to the faith Mm -hmm. um, as everyone has their own individual and distinct story. Right. Um, But I I mean, the, the cast was full of Christians Mm. and I think that is one of the reasons why uh, it came across and was so impactful uh, in the way that it was done. Right. Um, It's true to the, to the people making the movie. yeah, Yeah. It's true to us in a level that, is achievable by a terrific actor who's not Christian, but comes so naturally to an actor who is a Christian. Right. Like we were talking about uh, Prefontaine films. Yes. Where, um, uh, was the guy uh, crippled? Not crippled. Uh, no, Billy Crudup. Crudup, sorry. Yeah. Uh, so he, you know, looked like a runner. Yes. And he executed it well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's a runner, but, you know, it came naturally to him. He even matched his stride. And he executed the mannerisms, role yeah. and mannerisms, and he ran like Prefontaine, right. you know, which is what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not saying that you have to cast someone who's a runner to play Prefontaine, but it sure would help. Yeah, <laughs> right. You yeah, know? yeah. And, and I- so I think uh, the directors did a great job uh, choosing who they chose. Myself included. Very thankful. Oh. Well, I looked, you know, when I looked up those box office numbers, it said starring and you were the top, top name. That must feel amazing. Uh, it does. Honestly, uh, I'm not going to lie. It feels incredible. It's um, it's an honor to uh, be recognized for your work. You know, that feels good. Uh, the trick is not letting it go to your ego. Well, you won a Teen Choice Award. So, oh, I mean, man. you've been recognized. <laughs> I did. Yeah, that's right. Oh, man, that was forever ago. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. I just, when I said, I looked up the Wikipedia and it said, uh, you'd actually been nominated for quite a few awards and won a couple. Yeah. I mean, it's, so to your, to your point of you're 27, you've been acting for 13 years. You've almost been acting for as long as you've d- done anything. So for 14 years, you didn't do, I think you were a kid, you didn't do anything. And now since that time, you've almost matched that existence with acting. So pretty soon you're going to be acting more than you've done anything in your life. That is wild to think about. I hadn't considered it that Mm -hmm. way. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, I just, you know, the Hollywood scene seems like uh, um, it's hard for a normal person to relate to. so, and I have, I mentioned that I just watched a documentary on a child actor and how was that, been, how was that growing up in the industry? I mean, it sounds like you've enjoyed the whole process, right? Mm-hmm. Ha, has there been struggles? There have been struggles. Um, it's very competitive mm-hmm. to be an actor. You know, you're living in LA and the whole city wants to be an actor and they want to you know, make it onto the big screen or uh, be on TV, which has become extremely prominent recently. In the last probably seven or eight years, TV has really stepped up to the point where it is equally as prestigious as film. You mean like TV, like Netflix or or like sitcoms? Uh, like Netflix. Okay. Uh, like short Streaming. series. Mm-hmm. Um, 
10 episodes only, really deep, dark, solid performances. Mm -hmm. Um, It used to be that film was uh, the goal, you know. You would go through TV to make your break onto the big screen. Right. Uh, But now, I mean, you see people, I mean, The Morning Show with Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon. I mean, Mm -hmm. that show is wonderfully created wonderfully done uh the acting is terrific the storyline is you know um it's it's spot on you know uh i'm a little behind on it but um it used to be that movies was where you wanted to get to right uh tv has become you know fighting grounds yeah and uh and it's it's really cool to see um it's it's fun to be in uh in that industry and yeah the industry is so weird yeah you know and like you were saying it it's hard for people outside to see themselves in the industry yeah and i mean another reason why i was so excited and passionate to do a christian film is so that people could see themselves or see something of themselves in yeah in hollywood you know right something that they they believe in you know like i said earlier except for themselves i think it was it was a great story and i think you guys yeah, and I think a lot of people could see themselves. And like I said, all churches kind of have that same struggle. It mm-hmm. feels like, or not all, I can't speak for all churches. Um, but I think that's a common struggle is uh, is making sure we're still reaching the younger generation while staying true to the to the belief. Yeah. Um, yeah, I you know, speaking of Netflix and TV, like normally I'll go, okay, is there a good movie to watch? So, man it's hard finding like you seem like you watch the same old movies all the time because you're like man we need a a new good movie and it's like there's a lot of movies out but are there good ones and then you go to the netflix and you watch then you look at scroll through netflix originals and what's new on and there is some awesome series on netflix and they are to your point killing it and including these big names so it's uh yeah, I mean, there's probably more opportunity for work than maybe there was as an actor, um, and that that must be exciting. That's absolutely true. There's more work than there's ever been. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, the flip side of that coin is that there are more people who are capable of booking the job mm-hmm. than ever before as well. More so competition. It, it used to be that you had to be in L.A. and you had to... Uh, be in the room uh, with the casting director and they can only see so many people, you know? Right. Uh, But now what it's become after COVID uh, and it started a little bit before COVID, but it really, it became the pretty much sole way of auditioning is uh, doing a self tape, which is recording yourself doing the scene with someone reading with you off camera. Hmm. And so you basically do your audition and then upload it, your link to the casting director so that they can watch it. And then if they like you, then the conversation moves forward of let's do it again or we want to see something a little different or we'll have you come to L.A. so that we can meet you in person. Hmm. You know, that that it is a big change, I would guess. But I think you mentioned that how you look on camera is actually all that matters because you can have a perfect presentation or or you deliver the lines or the role whatever in person perfectly 
But if it doesn't translate to camera where everybody's going to watch it, mm -hmm. then it doesn't really matter. I mean, the key is like, how do you perform on camera, not in person? Because it's not a play. Because it's not a play. Yeah. And uh, is that, I mean, is it, is it hard to have somebody sitting there filming you to just kill the lines or is you just used to it? Uh, I've become used to it. Yeah. It used to be weird to have cameras in my face. It used to be weird, you know, uh, doing a performance in front of people. Mm -hmm. uh, but it has become uh, an art form. It's become uh, an outlet for me myself. And uh, I love it. And it, it goes great. My my wife does all my auditions with me. She's terrific. <laughs> so she films? She Well, we set the camera up. We roll the camera. Oh. And then she and I, we do the scene together. Gotcha. And then we'll cut the camera and like, ah, was that good? We wanted to switch something up. Like, mm -hmm. let's do it again. And then if we like one, we'll watch it. Like, is this good enough? Okay. Do you think it's easier to do it, um, do those with your wife do right there doing it or easier or is it easier to get into the role when you know the director's actually watching i mean mm. you can have more takes probably with your wife yes because you can just screw up say you know whatever get frustrated you can't be frustrated with the director <laughs> no you can't um yeah it's not good to be frustrated uh in on like a first uh first time meeting <laughs> yeah. some people yeah interaction and you're like god this guy's crazy yeah, like, not diva yeah no, not, not yeah, this yeah. guy <laughs> but with your wife you can you know throw all sorts of tantrums right it's absolutely true yeah uh, she's awesome mm -hmm. um and like you were saying with multiple takes i remember i was doing this audition and i was trying to do a long island accent mm. and it was an audition that i was doing with my wife and it took me two hours because I'm, I'm just not great with, with accents. And so that was one of the great things about doing the audition with my wife. I got it down. Yeah. I got it pretty, well, you could work through good. it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Workable. You know, I got through every single line and like, it was like, give there me a and line. It did well. What was a line? Oh Let's no, I can't it. do it, it was, now. This come was, on. this was two years ago. I think you remember the line. I don't remember any of the lines. <laughs> <laughs> All I remember is, uh, you have to add, uh, uh, a G, so you have to say like Long Island. Oh, oh, Long that sound, Island. That sounded pretty good. Uh, but that's all I know how to say. It. <laughs> so, but do you think it. it's like kind of false advertisement that it took you a thousand takes to yes, get this, absolutely. and then you send it, and then they're like, "Oh, he's perfect," and you get there, and you're like, "Okay, we're gonna be here a while, guys. This is gonna take me a really long time." Yeah, to get this, this right. This took a whole day to get this scene. One scene. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> took me two hours. Right. I, I could see where it'd be. Because I know when I, I mean, I don't do anything, but I do have to say some things like with sponsors and I get so mad. I mean, they if they watched me like on my screw ups, they'd be like, this guy's a lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> so, but then when you see the final results, it's just like, great. oh man, he did great. He did great. So yeah, it's like, I could see where it'd be. I mean, good in one aspect, not great in another absolutely long island no i try to say it again i'm from long island <laughs> so how'd that role go i mean did you get the part no oh. <laughs> no i did not hmm. yeah <laughs> i mean mm. accents must just be tough you know i watched um i that reminds me i watched a clip of margot robbie who uh she seems like like the most perfect female if you just like from the outside in you're just like wow but anyway she's from i think australia and she was doing like a 
Long Island accent. And she was saying like, well, you just talk with your hands. Like she had her hands out like this all the time and like talk. And then all of a sudden she was talking like a New Yorker or something. And I was, I was like fascinated by how you can go from Australian accent to a New Yorker accent. And I'm like, hey, man, these guys are good. They're good. And there are, uh, there's tricks, you know, mm. to getting a sound right. Uh, I actually, actually uh, working on accents is probably something that I need to apply myself to mm -hmm. because it opens up so much opportunity for work. Um, but uh, I've worked with dialect coaches who train you to uh, hear the sounds and uh, say the sounds, hmm. like adding the G. Uh, but then also there's these little tricks that they do, like the hands. Yeah. Like you add the hands in and it becomes a characterization of like the women in Long Island. You know, they talk with their hands or right. whatever Margaret was saying in that video. And it works. Yeah. There's little things. It's like. How, I know. how does that work? I don't know, but it totally does. I know when I, when I, I had to read my book and it was like, I didn't think it was going to be that hard. Right. I mean, cause I, I can talk, I can read, but I read to myself. Mm. I don't read out loud. So it's not like maybe when my kids were little, I'd read up. No, I, I never even did that, but probably their mom did. But anyway, it's like reading out loud and not screwing up. Like, again, if you had the outtakes from that, you'd be like, <laughs> what is wrong with this guy? But I found that if I like did this and like said each word and it's hitting my hand and like I would get in kind of a rhythm reading, that would help. Nice. And I don't know why. I, I have I no idea. No idea, but it works. Yeah. It, it was like this cadence. I had to get in a cadence of reading mm -hmm. smooth. And if I didn't, it just didn't come out as well. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird how the brain, or maybe that was just me, but you saying that kind of reminded me of that. It's true. There's, there's little things I think in, uh, like the psyche and a physicalization mm -hmm. that they're, they're linked. Mm. And so sometimes if you link the physical and the verbal physical and the mental, then it executes well. Right. And you, I, I have no idea why, but it worked. Yeah. And besides, I really liked your book. I, I remember when you uh, when you messaged me, I was like in chapter two or three already. Mm. And I was loving it. Oh, thank you. It was really good. Thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I probably wouldn't have done it, but the book publisher thought it would be a success. And I'm like, okay, I guess, yeah. but I'm glad you liked it. Black Rifle Coffee Company is a company that's very easy for me to promote because... I drink coffee all day, every day. But more importantly, they are a huge supporter of the veteran community and are a veteran-owned business, so they have my full support. Use code KEEPHAMMERING for 20% off your first order and 20% off subscription to The Coffee Club, where you get exclusive coffee blends and merchandise. I'm always putting constant stress on my body, which is why I decided to try Mud Water, and it has been a game changer in regard to mental focus. The blend of adaptogenic mushrooms, cordyceps, and lion's mane all support focus, physical performance, and are great for the immune system. Now, these aren't the hallucinogenic type of mushrooms, but I do like that Mud Water gives back to the Berkeley Center for the Science of Using Psychedelics to help treat individuals with mental health disorders. Go to mudwater.com, that's M-U-D-W-T-R, Use code CAM for 15% off your first order. I was thinking too, so you, I mean, I thought it was crazy. Your first movie you said was a Steven Spielberg movie. 
Yes. Right. And then did I see where you also were in a Stephen King movie? I did do Stephen King's film, yeah. yes. Yeah, I mean, that's incredible being a young actor. To I mean, those are two iconic people right there. And I, I, you've been in, what, 17 or so films. But um, what, what do you take away from working with, with icons in the industry like that? Did, did you, and did you have any course, did you uh, work with them or was it mostly the direct, like the uh, Spielberg was a director, but were you working with him at all? So Spielberg was actually the producer. Producer, okay. J.J. Uh, Abrams was the director of Super oh, 8. Oh, that's still a big name. Huge. Yeah. He is, uh, he's hard to keep up with. Hmm. His mind is one of those that just never shuts off. Hmm. You can see the cogs spinning and he's just constantly working through uh, uh, problems and problem solving. Mm -hmm. And he's also such a people person. Hmm. He has built this crew, at least this was my experience on Super 8, mm -hmm. that he finds people that he likes and he works with, well with and he sees that they respect people and they work well with others. And he brings them back to work with him again. Okay. And so he's put together uh, on Super 8 this well-oiled machine. Mm. Probably one of the most, like, con con uh, cohesive? Cohesive. Cohesive. Mm. Uh, cohesive crews that I've ever worked with. Mm -hmm. they, they knew each other. They worked well. They've got so much history and experience with each other. Um it feels like a family. Hmm. And uh, that was that was my first job. So that was my first experience. Wow. How old were you then? So you were... I was 14. 14. I was 14. It's so my first job. I had no idea what I was doing. It was like grabbing onto a train that's already going 60 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, getting like... <laughs> pulled away uh and i've i've loved every every step of it what, what did you what was that movie what did you do in that movie what was your role so i played joe lamb uh he is the son of the sheriff uh, not the sheriff uh one of the deputies in town okay and uh there's a huge train accident mm -hmm. and uh me and my group of friends we are filming a little super eight film uh, to uh, try to get it entered into like, like a film festival. Okay. And so the night we're filming, there's a huge train accident. Nice. And uh, good material. Good material. <laughs> Production value. Yeah. Is one of the lines that one of the characters yells. Okay. And uh, it's, it's <laughs> so good. Yeah. And uh, we uh, we discover later that we have uh, caught on film an alien escaping from one of the train cars. Nice. And so the Air Force comes in. There's corruption. There's bad guys. There's good guys. And uh, it's a coming-of-age story. It's mm. fun. It's lighthearted. It's entertaining. Yeah. And uh, Good I introduction yes. to the business, yeah. Well, maybe. Uh, yes and no. Mm. Because then I went to work on other films, and I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. It's not all like that. It's not a well-oiled <laughs> machine on everyone. It's not a well-oiled mm -hmm. machine. Do you is so he said he you said JJ was a very much a people person. So mm -hmm. are there directors or producers who aren't who you're like, oh my yes. God, I don't, I, you know, you screw, you feel, you know, you screw up. That's bad enough. But then they're also upset. Does that yes, happen? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, everyone has bad days. Everyone has good days. 
but I've definitely worked with producers and directors who seem to only have bad days. <laughs> <laughs> From the outside, that's what it looks like. Who's uh, the worst producer you've ever... No, just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I want to say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They'll never hire me again. No, I know. I'm just kidding. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, it is... And again, I don't know anything about anything, but I know the more pressure you put on yourself, almost the harder it gets to deliver lines. So it's like Absolutely. when you don't want to screw up, that's when you screw up. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. It's for me anyway. Absolutely. No, it's totally true. There was uh, there was one day on Super 8 where uh, we, uh, JJ added a scene. Mm-hmm. Um, totally new. It wasn't in the script. Uh, he had uh he was working through the stuff that we were going to film the next day he realized oh like we there's something we need to like just put in here and it's this little small scene where uh my friends and i were filming our little movie outside one of these houses that the air force is ransacking Mm. and so we're using them as like background actors but it's the air force actually rummaging through this house and destroying it and finding all these like scientific paperwork and stuff and um, and so JJ wrote us a scene to do outside the real scene that's happening in the background with the air okay. And I did not know how to memorize lines at the time. Mm. And so what I would do is I would work on scenes for the, the entire week. Mm. So if we were filming on Monday, I would know and start working on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So that by the time I got to Friday... It was ready. And then on Tuesday, I would add Monday and Tuesday to the next week. Right. So I had to work had on system. my lines a week out and then walk that week forward as we moved through production. And he wanted to add this like on he the fly. He threw it in the day of. He's like, this is just going to be a short little scene. It's going to be 30, 45 minutes on set. No worries. Just th- like throw your lines out there and just have fun with it. I'm like, <laughs> I can't. I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. I do not. And so it was uh it was one of the worst days of my life. Real, so hard. Stressful. Uh, I had a panic attack because I was gonna and you're 14? fail. Yeah. I had I was gonna fail JJ Abrams. I was gonna have I had a panic attack and I couldn't remember anything because all I had was 30 minutes with the lines. And now I could I could do that easy right but at the time i was 14 this is my first job i didn't have any tricks Mm -hmm. i didn't know how to do the stuff i was faking my way through a film right at the age of 14 (laughs) and jj abrams just made it look good and so what they were doing was i would try to say the line i'd get it wrong and then someone was just feeding me my lines from off camera like Mm -hmm. yelling them to me and then i would say them and then someone would tell me my next line and then i would say it to the actor across from me uh gabe and uh worst day on set of my life it's probably hard to to deliver lines believably when you're just kind of repeating what somebody says right because you haven't had time to work through it yourself absolutely yeah it's nice to discover you know the lines in yourself and your character and um, say them in a way that your character would say them, which is why some actors lose their minds when directors give line readings, mm. when they say, uh, oh, it, it's not, uh, don't say uh, your pizza just came out of the oven. Say, oh, your pizza just came out of the oven. Mm-hmm. Actors like 
do not tell me how to say my lines. Oh, really? Some of them <laughs> lose it. And it really, it gets in your head because mm-hmm. once the director says this is the right way to do it. It means you've been becomes, doing it wrong. It becomes you've been doing it wrong and there's only one right way of saying that oh. line. Where you could say the line a million different ways and it would just be just as authentic as the exact way that the director likes the line to be said. Right. You know, and and so there becomes this standard that it's held up against. Hmm. Uh, So it gets into people's minds. I bet. I bet. Yeah. I mean, you saying that like you had this system for remembering your lines and like throwing in on the fly. It didn't really work. It reminded me... have you seen the movie Whiplash? Yes. So the somehow the the music score book or whatever the the drummer was going by, they lost it. Yep. And then Miles Teller said, Well, I, I remembered it in this and who's that who's that God, the uh head actor or the actor in that J.K. Simmons. Yes, yeah. So obviously he was mad. He's like, Can you do the thing? He's like, No, I can't do it because I have to have the book. And then Miles Teller said, I can do it. But it reminded me of that, like, yeah, I mean, he the the first chair drummer had a process. He had to have the music there in front of him. And without it, he couldn't do it. So right. it kind of reminded me of your situation there yeah. at 14. Terrific film. Oh yeah. my goodness. I, I assume the director wasn't like, who was it? Who would say the the lead actor in that movie again? What was uh, his name? J.K. Simmons. Yeah, I assume he didn't have that same attitude. No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because that would that would be tough. I mean, I love that movie. J.K. Simmons is a psycho, but I do love the pushing to be the best and like demanding excellence. I do like that part. He was a little over the top though. Definitely over the top. I, oh, what was it? He threw like a chair at one of his students. He, and yeah. I think it's one of the, I think it's maybe one of the first times he kind of like snaps mm-hmm. in, in camera with, I think Miles Teller yeah. actually like experiencing he it. Was like, first okay, was like, okay. It's oh, fine. Yeah. At first he was oh. less like kind of being supportive. Just mm-hmm. have fun. Just have fun. And then boom, here comes a yeah. chair. Yeah. Yeah. It was intense. Oh man. JK Simmons is so good. Yeah. Have you ever worked with him? I have not. Hmm. I've auditioned for a few things that he's uh, starred in. Uh, I'd, I'd love to. Hmm. I'd love to. He's terrific. Who's your favorite actor? Oh, man. <laughs> I think in terms of performance and uh, the the heart of a character truly being lived, uh, I'd, I'd have to say Daniel Day-Lewis. Hmm. Uh, he brings people to life, uh, in a way that, uh, really prohibits directors from giving line readings because hmm. Daniel D. Lewis is going to do it better than the director yeah. would ever even attempt, gotcha. you know? And so there's a, uh, there's a faith that when you hire him, you're gonna, you know, you're going to be getting the ultimate, uh, shot at a performance and i mean that guy gets oscar nominations just for like joining a film yeah because he's that good (laughs) did you see the one where i think he was like is something about oil yes let there be blood oh my oh there will be blood yeah there will be blood blood. that was he was amazing in that movie amazing yeah and just 
I mean, when you talked about when you when you mentioned him, his role in that movie came right to my mind. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I know exactly what you're saying because he was so believable. And how could you? I don't know how you direct that. He just feel, it's just like he's that he's the person in the movie. Like it's unequivocally he's that guy right there. Yeah, I don't know. And he he is next level. He gets into it in a way that very few to no actors do pretty much um he does a very intense uh method acting where he basically just becomes the character Mm -hmm. uh i think on there will be blood he uh he didn't sit in actors chairs you know the director chairs they're kind of like stilted up on like x's and they've got that cloth cushioning and then the back cloth as well with your name on it your Mm -hmm. cast all that stuff he sat on a tree stump and drank out of a tin can really because that's what his character would have had and so he really lives it. How awesome is that? Terrifying. Yeah. Because that's not what I do. So if I were to work with Daniel Day Lewis, <laughs> I would be tripping. Yeah. I don't like. I don't know. I don't know what I would do. Right. I really don't. I'd have to give it a lot of thought. Do you? So <gasps> when you play a role, like when you're done, you're done. Yes. Put Pre- it. Put it down. Yeah. And. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it's just a different approach. Everybody's different. Um, but there is something to be said for how good he is and how he does it. Mm-hmm. There must be validity to that approach also. But it, it could just be, I mean, could you lose your, go crazy losing yourself in the role? You know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, there's heartbreaking stories of, uh, of people doing that. Um, I think one of the most like prominent is Heath Ledger. Mm-hmm. You know, he was playing the role of the Joker in uh, Christopher Nolan's uh, The Dark Knight, and uh, I think he he uh, I think he overdosed on sleeping medication, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. I think a few different and, things. And I yeah. think it was him trying to like after filming was done. I think it w- it was just him trying to like put it away, like mm-hmm. get rid of that darkness that he had kind of welcomed into his life and kind of lived in it. And I I think he just got stuck and that was heartbreaking. I remember the day that I found out that he'd passed away uh, because he starred in um, one of my favorite films from when I was a kid, uh, Knight's Tale. Mm. That movie is so funny. Yeah. I love it. It's uh, it's set in medieval times. It's a comedy and uh, romance and uh, just terrific. It, I highly recommend it. Yeah. I highly recommend I it. I thought you were going to say, there's another one like, is it 10 Things I Hate About You? Is he in oh, that yes. one too? Yep. I thought you were going to say that one yeah. when you started too, but yeah. Yeah. No, he's I haven't seen A Night's Tale, I don't think. It is so funny. Right. It is so funny. So he'd been one of your favorite up until, so you'd been following along and then you heard he'd passed away. And I just, did. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like that's, that was the first time where an actor that I was kind of familiar with and was aware of, we never knew each other. Mm-hmm. He, um, I think he passed away before I even started acting, mm. but uh, an actor that I was familiar with had passed away. I was like, that is crazy. Hmm. And, um, just so heartbreaking. Um, and he gave maybe one of the most legendary performances 
ever. Um, it's it's hard to conceptualize the role moving forward from him. Yeah, you know, uh, Joaquin Phoenix has done an incredible job with it. Right, and uh, I'm not a fan of the Jared Leto take. Yeah, but um, I mean, he screwed up pre pre Fontaine also. So <laughs> oh no, that's he right. pretty much sucks at everything. <laughs> <laughs> He's given some terrific performances for sure, uh, but I mean. Yeah, taking uh, I I think there's there's uh, characters and roles in film that really need to be like prayed about mm-hmm. and taken on with eyes wide open, right? Because um, if you're if you're living in it and if you're giving the performance of a lifetime, it, there's a cost, right? It feels like, I mean. Christian Bale could maybe go into that same category yeah. also because yeah. he gets so immersed in the roles and like you see his body transformation. I think in the mechanic, he was 130 pounds or whatever it was, but, and then you see outbursts sometimes on TV or not on TV, but caught on camera where he's just, you know, a little unhinged, I think yelling at his mom before, but I could see that you get so immersed in these roles and these characters and these people who are, usually deeply flawed, which is why they make a good character in a movie. Yeah. And then all of a sudden that's you. Cause that's all you're thinking about all the time. I mean, but it's the people who are the greatest at it, who are, it feels like are at the most risk, you know, Absolutely. like I wonder Joaquin Phoenix, mm-hmm. another one. I mean, how has that affected him? All these roles he's played, right. You know, it's gotta be, there's a, as you said, there's a price, right? There's there, there's price absolutely a price and it's, it is the price of greatness. Mm-hmm. It's uh, there's a there's this idea that um, the teacher at the acting studio that I used to go to in Los Angeles, I actually want to get back into um, uh, the the idea of abandon. Um, how willing are you to pursue something to the point at which you could fail, but discover greatness? Mm-hmm. And, uh, there's, there's this thing that some actors do where they play it safe and like, I know how to make this look good on camera, mm-hmm. but there's a way of going about it where you don't really look great, but it is the most powerful way of doing it. Hmm. You know, uh, like, oh, what's, what's a good way of doing it? Um, there's some performances, you know, when, you know, ugly crying, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So there's there's actors. Can you cry that cry right now? If I you're could good cry at, right now. You could. I could cry right now. <laughs> That's pretty. What well, here's me not knowing anything about anything. When an actor, when I'm like, okay, they're supposed to be crying. I don't see tears. Where are the tears? Where are the tears? But if somebody can cry and actually have a tear come out, you're like. For a, a casual like me, it's like, oh, that's a pretty good actor right there. You know, that's how I, I determine whether there's a real tear or not. That's going to determine whether you suck or you're good yeah. to me. I think that, uh, well, here's the counter. Here's the counter to that. Uh, if you're in shock, mm-hmm. you might not cry. Yeah. If you're in shock, you might not cry. But right. you're feeling something and it's just locked. Right. You're in shock. You're stuck. Right. Your brain is spinning, but mm-hmm. there's practically nothing going on here. Yeah. So like, let's say a character walks into their house and their dad is, you know, been shot. Mm-hmm. 
there's a very real experience for that character where they just stand there for 30 seconds thinking, what? Processing. What? Right. And they're just saying like, dad, dad, get up. Mm -hmm. Dad, get up. You know, no tears. Not yet. That'll sink in. Right. But then there's also the direction the director could say, run to your dad, ball your eyes out mm -hmm. and just like shake him. Right. You know, and like that's there's two ways of doing that scene. Yeah, that's and true. And so I um, I definitely am like, oh, there's a tear, you know. Yeah. But then also there's a way of, you know, seeing experience and then also the way two different people would experience it. Because it's not me walking into the room and seeing my dad dead on the floor. Mm -hmm. It's this character. How would this character handle it? Right. Is this a tough guy who, you know, holds back all of his emotion and that's the moment the dam breaks and it all pours out? Right. Or is this an emotional person who can't process it? You got to like, got to think through the character. You got to know your character. And, uh, and even sometimes the directors are like, we're going to try this two ways because okay. we're not really sure how we want this to go. Oh, I see. And so that's when you get to have fun. Mm -hmm. You get to try it different ways. You get to experiment. Also in the moment you can discover something great if you're playing for keeps. Right. Playing with abandon and just going for it. You start, you mentioned something about ugly crying. What was the point you're going to make about that? Oh yeah. So, uh, ugly crying, uh, there's. There's actors who can, um, you know, uh, actually Anna Grace Barlow in Jesus Revolution. Mm -hmm. She has this superpower where she can just be, you know, in at any given moment, in about 10 seconds, she can get one like that perfect tear nice. that just goes, you know, and she can control which eye it is too. What? I don't know how she does this. I don't know how she does this. Mm. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, but then she can also let herself go to the like powerful sobbing crying. Mm -hmm. Some actors are like, this is going to be immortalized on film and it'll be on the internet and on Amazon free for anyone to buy for the rest of time. Mm -hmm. So I want to look good. Oh, they don't want the ugly crying So they cry don't want face. the ugly crying face. Yeah. But if you walked in and found your dad dead on the floor, would you be like, oh no. Right. Or would you be snot coming a mess out? And there's snot coming out. Yeah. And like you're maybe gagging and like heaving from your your system revolting, mm -hmm. right? Being like this everything is wrong and your body goes into a state of shock. And so uh there's some people out there who I question like uh, mm -hmm. is, you're worried is this about the this, good tear or this is legacy. this the ugly crime? Right. The legacy of it and the look. Yeah. Cause I mean you can get one screenshot from a film and it's a meme oh. forever. <laughs> I mean, and I mean, everybody has ego, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, for sure. Everyone does. Like when you, when you're going to be a movie star, you want to look good, right? That, I mean, it's what movie? Yeah. So, I mean, I get, I do get that, which makes you really respect somebody who will go all in yeah. and like, wow, I guess I never thought about it. Like, man, that person, they really look like shit. They must have really, really wanted this this scene to to pop. Absolutely. But. And you were you were talking about Christian Bale earlier, and uh, the way that he puts his body through transformation yeah. for roles as well. Mm -hmm. I was just watching American Hustle the other day, 
and you know he gained had the belly. He went like the belly, and he had like that comb over. Yeah, he gives himself to the role mm-hmm. with abandon, and he's like, "What's right for this?" And that's what I'm going to do for the mecha- mechanic machinist. Uh, machinist. Machinist. Yeah. yeah. One thirty. I know. He was like a skeleton. Yeah. And I, I, I think there's maybe only a handful of people that would even consider trying right. to do that. Right. Um, I know that for Dallas Buyers Club, um, uh, Matthew McConaughey and uh, Jared Leto both went through physical transformation and got mm-hmm. down to, I mean, dangerously low uh uh, body weight like they put themselves in harm's way to do what was right for those characters right you know and i respect that mm-hmm. but i fear that right because i'm not doing that and so like i i see those films I'm like this is what so you're not doing it do. or you haven't done it yet would I you do it i would you would okay i would like i would like to think because I people, would be able to do that. The people we're talking about are icons. They're the greats. So, so you got you to think, if I'm in this doing this work like you are, I'd be like, if I want to be great, I mean, I got to be all in. Right. Because there's a lot of people who still want to look good, still mm-hmm. want their whatever, but we're not talking about them right now. Yeah. So. Yeah. so similar, you, similar with hunting, you know. Yeah. Go all in. Mm-hmm. Do what you have to do to be great to get the perfect shot and uh, to be able to, you know, carry your, your meat out of, you know, however far you had to hike for it. Mm -hmm. And whether, you know, you push yourself to do ultra marathons, you carry that unbelievable rock up that hill, (laughs) which is just, it's next level, you know? How'd that feel yesterday? I, uh, I mentioned I mentioned the other day I uh, I ran ten miles. Yeah, that's a good run. Uh, to uh, right after you invited me on the show, I was like, I gotta know I I gotta know that I can hurt, and I gotta know that I can push myself through hurt just to be able to go with you for a couple of days mm-hmm. and do a run lift shoot. Yeah, and to you know kind of earn a spot <laughs> on your yeah. podcast because yeah. it's such an honor to be here, um, carrying your rock up the hill was harder than a 10 mile run. Really? I was cooked. I was just done. And I didn't realize it until we did the lift. I had, I was gassed. Yeah. I was gassed. Like in those fights, you know, you come out strong in the first two rounds. In the third round, you got nothing left. Right. Shooting went great. Yep. The rock went great up the hill in Pisgah. And then for my lift, I was dead. I was dead. <laughs> yeah. I was dead in the it's third round, day. you know, it, totally you, gassed. You did great. I mean, you did. I mean, I think you killed everything, but it is a lot because carrying that rock is, it's not something you can simulate unless you're carrying a rock of something, right? So you can't really prepare for it, but it's like one of those things where your, your body just has to be so engaged, like every second of the... And even when you're running, your whole body's not engaged. You're kind of getting in a flow state, mm-hmm. kind of relaxed. You can't relax with that rock. 
So it's just no like relaxing. your nervous system and your body is just like tense. And so it does, you know, to lift after that is a lot to ask. I mean, but you did awesome. But that's the price of greatness, you know, being willing to push yourself into yeah. failure and beyond, I think. Some people would say that what I do is stupid and so whatever. So they wouldn't really, really say that it's a price of greatness. But yeah, I, I do. I um, agree with what you're saying about sometimes there's you you do. Um, I mean, you have to push. And we talked about that even with lifting. I said the goal is to fail and to fail and still go beyond failure. That's hard to do. Yeah. But that's where the growth happens. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I don't really know how, what that meant with the rock, but, uh, or how, how I justify carrying a rock up a mountain. I just like it because it's hard. So that's what I do. It's hard. And that's where growth comes from. You know, once you go into the failure and you push through a little bit, mm-hmm. that's where your growth comes from. Yeah. And I mean, that rock is like a, it makes life seem easier. Yeah. When you're struggling to take that rock up the like <laughs> yeah. up the hill, I just kept thinking like it was cr- on my shoulder and I was like, oh, my life is not that bad. Right. This is hard. <laughs> but like there's yeah. things in my life that I consider to be an inconvenience or difficult or a hardship. Mm-hmm. Just give you some perspective. Yeah, again, it's always perspective, isn't it? Always perspective. Um, before I I move past it, but uh, Stephen King. So did you did you see Stephen King on set in that movie? No, no, he I did wasn't. not. He so, wasn't there. What was he just a writer of the of the film or? So uh, Stephen King puts out novels, mm-hmm. and he's done this incredible thing that. Uh, his novels, you can buy the rights to the novel for like five bucks. Hmm. And so that's why there's so many Stephen King films that are turned into uh, oh. books that are turned into films because they're available. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's uh, getting the rights to something. I'm sure you know more about this than I do with books, uh, but there, you have to buy the rights to mm-hmm. it. So if I were to make a Cameron Haynes film, I would have to buy the rights to your book, you know, Um, which why would you, you know, undersell yourself? But uh, you could could play me. (laughs) (laughs) Now you did the rock. You shot the bow. Hey, there we go. I am not nearly (laughs) tough enough or hard enough to let to play you. (laughs) They would need to dig deep and find someone. Plus you got John wick five coming up. Yeah. My schedule's booked. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, but that that's interesting because I would, I read a lot of Stephen King books growing Mm -hmm. up because he's so crazy and, and the writing was just like so detailed and vivid. It's just, I mean, 1100 page book and you can read it tiny little words. But anyway, that's, I've been a Stephen King fan for a while. Absolutely. He's a legend. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has some of the most uh, deeply written uh, horror genre uh, books turned films, I think, ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he's the king of horror, isn't he? Yeah. Isn't like that's kind of how he's I would think so. Understood? That's, that's yeah. how I've always understood it. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, one of the best movies... One, I'm trying to think. I mean, I like Pet Cemetery, but it's just weird. But Misery was incredible. Misery with Kathy Bates and James Caan. Have you seen that one? Oh, I don't think I've seen Misery. 
Great movie. Oh my goodness. You got to watch that one. Yeah. That book. Cause I, she may have won an Oscar for that. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. So good. I'm going to have to look into that misery. Oh, I'm going to look into that. Yeah. It's a classic Stephen King novel, but amazing film too. But it's, I mean, it's disturbing as you could guess. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, I mean, it's fitting here that this is Easter morning and we're talking to Joel Courtney, star of Jesus Revolution. Um, I, I meant to get to this earlier, but so how has your faith journey played a part in your career? And now it's like, right now it's accumulated with this role. I mean, just yeah. because that's your latest thing, but how has it played? And like, when were you saved? How, how did that, all that happen? So it's just like a, little testimony from uh, my life is uh, I was raised Christian. Uh, my parents are both Christian. And uh, um, uh, when I went to Los Angeles and I started working as an actor, uh, was my first time really leaving my little bubble of Moscow, Idaho, which is a really wonderful Christian community. Um, all my friends at high school uh, went to a Christian school. And so I, I didn't really know anything other than that community. And, um, so I went to LA, started working, started meeting people that needed Jesus. And then I realized I needed Jesus personally, not because of my parents. And so that's kind of where I, uh, started a journey of accepting Jesus as, you know, personally my Lord and savior. Um, and then through work, uh, he has been my cornerstone. Um, he has provided, he's protected. Uh, he has guided me. And there's, a, there's been a piece about my career, which has not been easy, but I've had probably one of the easiest entries into Hollywood. I got Super 8 on like my first audition. Yeah. So like the provision has always been clear to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, um, growing up a little bit in Hollywood, uh, it was tough, but you know, um, you find community, you find people who believe similar things. And, uh, I have been very blessed to find, um, solid Christians in the industry and, uh, people outside the industry in Los Angeles as well. Um, I have, so many friends that, uh, I miss dearly. And, uh, um, I'm just not in Los Angeles anymore. Mm -hmm. And so life has taken me on, uh, a new path. Uh, we live in Tennessee now, which is awesome. But, mm -hmm. uh, in my career, uh, working up to doing Jesus revolution, it's been, uh, the honor of the lifetime and, uh, the desire of the lifetime of a career. I've wanted to do faith-based films because they mean it mean the heart of the film means so much to me mm -hmm. and um, spreading the gospel and that opportunity is so uh, dear to me as a Christian, you know, um, the great uh, commission is going out and spreading the gospel. And uh, the the fact that I, I got to do it in uh, Jesus Revolution, but also the fact that I got to do it with Jesus Revolution, you know, right. it was the good one. It was like, it was one of the best Christian films I think that's ever been made. Mm -hmm. um, and it's such an honor and it's very humbling. We, uh, people were getting saved on set 
Hmm. You know, uh, the day that we were in Southern California in the Newport area, we were at uh, Pirates Cove doing the baptisms. Uh, one of our actors was baptized that day by the real Greg Laurie. Wow. And we were filming a scene over at the uh, the right corner of the beach. So it's this rock wall. Right. And then there's a sand pit and then the water comes up to it. Mm-hmm. And then there's a jetty, like probably 400, 500 yards out. Mm-hmm. So there's not big waves rolling up to the beach. It's like little. It's protected. Yeah. It's protected. And so we're over in the corner, we're filming, and then one of the uh, assistant directors runs up and goes, hey, guys, check this out. Greg is baptizing one of the guys over there. We all just like, cut. Yeah. Let's watch. Yeah. That was awesome. Wow. That was awesome. And then also background actors were getting baptized. Uh, Jonathan Rumi was out in the water, and uh, one uh, one of these background actors uh she was a lady and uh she walked out to him and they're rolling cameras from the cliff above looking down at the beach and she walked out to him was like wait before can can you do this for real really can you really baptize me and he said yes okay and so he prayed through sinner's prayer with her and uh baptized her as a you know brother in christ and uh he said it was one of the most profound experiences he's ever had Mm -hmm. um which is saying something because he literally plays jesus on the chosen (laughs) which is so good that show is phenomenal i highly recommend it uh i I can't recommend it enough actually Mm. uh but no like our the way i went into this film was saying um We would like to change lives and introduce people to Jesus. Mm-hmm. There's going to be long days. There's going to be hard days on set, like there always are. But seeing that almost instant gratification on set, like before the movie's done filming, yeah, people were getting saved. And so that was a profound realization. I was like, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Purpose is greater than the purpose is so great. Saving uh, and bringing and introducing one soul to Jesus makes an entire production and whatever type of hardship or struggle or hell we have to go through on set. Mm -hmm. It's worth it. Did, Did anybody say that? I mean, were you guys saying that amongst each other? Uh, yeah, Jonathan and I really had some beautiful open conversations, mm. and um, I I consider it an honor to have been able to work with him, and he is wonderfully talented, mm. uh, and he just has a beautiful soul and a desire to do good work, and he's very spirit-filled and wise, and um, he's a good friend. Mm. He's a good yeah. man. Yeah, that's great. What do you, uh, I mean, not fate, I guess, cause you know, what's fate, but do you, how do you, how do you reason that your, your upbringing and being a Christian and then have it, have it work towards this opportunity with this film? How does that, it seems like the per, I mean, everything fell in line and you were the perfect person for that. How do you, 
how does that make, how do you process that? I see God's hand all over my history. Um, I loved doing theater when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Super fun. I had extreme stage fright up until about third grade. And then there was a flip. I was like, oh, this is fun. Like, I can't think about how scary like 75 to 100 people looking at me is. Right. I just got to have fun. And then my focus switched. So there was a, there was a flip about mm-hmm. third grade. Plays became a lot of fun. And then in sixth grade, I played uh, Puck in uh, Midsummer Night's Dream mm, by Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And it was like the sixth grade version. You know, we weren't talking yeah. in poetry. Wherefore, Wherefore yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, it wasn't that deep. Right. Uh, but that was the first time I really remembering uh, uh, coming to life in a, in a role and kind of making it my own mm-hmm. and having fun with it. And so there was another flip there. I was like, oh, that was a new experience. That was really cool. I liked that a lot. And uh, it was Grandparents' Day. That oh. was the day that we did the play. Yeah. And so obviously there was a lot of cheering. And I was like, oh, they're cheering yeah. for us and me. And it yeah. was really, so that feedback was. Feedback felt good. The feedback felt good. Yeah. And, uh, and then I continued to do a little bit of theater and then. Uh, started acting at 14. And so I see the Lord's hand all over my history, guiding me, teaching me, uh, providing. I mean, it's not cheap living in LA. I don't, right. I don't know how people do it. Right. Um, I sometimes don't know how I did it. <laughs> uh, I was, I was provided for, uh, graciously. And, and so seeing, almost my ability to bring the gospel into Hollywood, into the world. Um, I see a lot of the Lord's favor on me, which I am humbled by. So I just feel so undeserving, you know, to have, because I didn't earn it, you Mm -hmm. know. I worked hard, but I didn't earn the Lord's favor. It was just graciously lavishly poured over me so undeservingly so do you feel an obligation to then spread the word because of that or is that how it works yes and i love to Mm -hmm. it's it's so fun um and necessary uh people need to hear the 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 love that is that is god do you think do you see people who have been blessed like you that then then don't spread the gospel don't spread the word like, uh, and, and do you think that, man, you've been, you've been so blessed. It's kind of like your obligation to me. Mm-hmm. I feel like, and again, I'm not trying to, to take your words, but I mean, I too feel like I've been blessed with more than I deserve. So mm-hmm. it's like, you should want to give because of that. Yeah. But I, there's people who don't obviously, right. Nobody says you have to, but it feels like. The more you give, the more you're rewarded. Mm. And, and I mean, your life seems like that personified to me because yeah. you're, you're per, you know, we keep saying perspective, but you do have a good approach to it, but also a deeply rooted uh, uh, approach in faith that the more you give, the harder you work, the more you receive, the mm. more than you also want to give. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like the the Spider Man version of it is uh, with great power comes great responsibility, 
and then that kind of being um, almost like a retelling of the the parable of the the master who gives talents and money to his uh, to his his workers. Um, one guy was given ten, one guy was given five, one was given one, and uh, I see myself as the guy who was given ten. Ten what? Ten talents. Oh, gotcha. Okay. And he lent it out and then got repaid. And when his master was back, he gave his master more than what he was given. And so I feel like as much as I've been given, I am called to um, work hard, you know, plant a harvest and reap in what is given to me and then pour that out for people and to be giving because how much have I been given? Right. Yeah. I, uh, I think that's, I mean, that's the way to look at it. I'm not, I'm not going to say that that's the right way. That is the way. That's how I see it. Yeah. And if there's a better way, I'd love to hear it. And, uh, I, I just, uh, that's, that's how I see it. Well, I mean, I just know you'd have to know that. So you saw the one person who wanted to be baptized on set, Mm -hmm. um, but imagine how many people have seen the film. So, I mean, you were impacted by that one person, mm-hmm. but millions of people have seen this film and felt the same way as that one person. That must feel incredible, knowing that you're having that impact on a society, but our country, especially now, that needs it more than, it feels like more than ever. Yeah. Um, that must feel incredible. It's mind-boggling i try to i try to think of it and conceptualize it but it feels too grand to um to really like take in and hold that awareness in my head uh how many people have you know uh even in my comments that i'm posting about the film and people saying this changed my life uh my this broke my heart Um, I started reading my Bible. Um, I started going to church. Um, I apologized to my wife, you know, like these, these comments of people saying this thing that you were associated with fundamentally changed my life for the better. Mm -hmm. That's wild. Yeah. That's wild. And I, I just seem so, I just see myself as, you know, a servant of the Lord and I'm, you're welcome seems so wrong to say. Right. It seems so inappropriate, but like it was a joy to do Mm -hmm. the film and to see the outcome that we hoped for. Right. Come to life is just amazing i i it, it, i'm i'm truly speechless about it mm-hmm. yeah i i think it's uh incredibly important and powerful right now especially as we talked about because and i think we mentioned that maybe this was the i don't know i don't want to say the last chance but you can only make so many faith-based films that bomb you know yeah. and so it was like are we done are we done with this or is there still people out there who can be impacted by a film like this. And it's just like, so it was like this tipping point where Hollywood was going to give up on this type of film. I'm like, no, 
we're past that society's moved on now it's you know transgender films from here on out but uh yeah, you know, uh, I think there was a lot of people that uh, saw um, this as a, very much a tipping point, which was what I was telling you. And uh, this was kind of testing the waters. Like, is the Christian community still out there? Are they still going to theaters? Should we be making movies for them to make to to have them invest in these films? Mm-hmm. And the answer was a resounding yes. Which I'm so thankful for because, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's an honor to have done the film, but it also looks good on my resume. Yeah. And so, like, having a success under my belt is because of the support of the entire Christian community. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I'm just eternally grateful that uh, people showed out and uh, continued to. I can't tell you how many people saw it, like, four or five times. I know. There was tons of people in my comments saying they saw it multiple times and I'm going to go again. I'm going to take my, I'm going to take my mom. I'm going to take my grandma. And, uh, it's just like mind boggling. Yeah. I, I did. I wanted to come back to this too, but, uh, so Greg Laurie, you said he was uh, down the beach that one Mm -hmm. scene, but how often, how much of a role did he play in the movie? Cause that's, that's who you played, right? Yep. That's who I played. Right. So how much of a contact with him did you have? Uh, a lot. Hmm. He was on set, uh, I want to say more than 50% of the, the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was around and he was, you know, talking to everybody. He had a camera guy on set and he was getting behind the scenes and he was getting B-roll. And hmm. uh, he he puts out a lot of content for his church. And so uh, he's very good on camera and he's very good speaking to a camera and uh, relating to people. And so, uh, I got to talk to him a lot, which was the, maybe like one of the greatest benefits, you know, um, because, uh, I'm playing him. So who better to have on set than the man himself. And so, uh, there were, there were days, uh, leading up to production where I got his phone number Mm. and, uh, we were on the phone for an hour, hour or two. And he basically said, carte blanche, uh, you want to call me? Call me any day, anytime, whatever you want to know. I'm glad to uh, be of assistance. Hmm. And so um, I took him up on that. <laughs> and uh, it was a huge blessing. It helped so much. Was he happy with your performance? Yes. Which uh, is another uh, uh, feel-good moment for me uh to have the man that i'm playing say like i see myself on cam- I, on the screen mm-hmm. and um and i you know as a as a performer as an actor you're playing a real person you don't want there to be him saying like eh, wasn't that like it wasn't that good, you know. That's that's pretty different than a lot of roles because a lot of roles you're playing playing a character that's been written, right? It's not a it's not the real person, right? So was that it was extra different pressure? Extra pressure for sure. And I felt that for the first three three days on set, uh, but uh, he was so welcoming and encouraging and uh, just helpful. Uh, 
throughout, you know, those first three days that I just really found a comfort in having him available for information. And so I kind of, I, I flipped my mindset about it again. I was like, I'm looking at this the wrong way. It's not a pressure. It's a benefit. Mm. And so that helped me. Yeah. And, um, and I'm, I'm very, uh, excited to be able to say that he liked it. Great. Which, you know, thank God. I know. I know. <laughs> what did, did he offer any advice? Like, like, you know, cause you're playing him. Did he say, give anything like, um, I don't know, trying to be more, more true to how he felt. I mean, do you remember any, any tips? Uh, so he was, uh, invaluable on set truthfully. Hmm. Um, not so much in minutia of like little tips, but it was more like this was my relationship with my mom. Okay. And it was X, Y, Z hardships, relationship, alcohol. She was married like seven times. Hmm. Um, and she had a very like hard life. Mm -hmm. And so getting to sit down and talk to him about how much he loved his mom, that it was the struggle of watching her struggle through existence. And so like getting to sit down and talk to him about that. So nice because day one, we filmed in the trailer with me and my mom Mm -hmm. and we did one of the last scenes of the film on day one. Really? So it's not like we film in order. It's not like you do scene one, two, three, four, mm-hmm. da, 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 all the way to the end. You'll in in one day you'll do the last scene of the film and maybe something from you know page fifty and then something in the first like ten minutes of the film. Hmm. You know, and so your chemistry has to be alive on day one. Hmm. Otherwise, at the end of the film, you're like, did they even know each other? Like, it's choppy why, and weird. Why did they do it like that? Why was the last scene day one? Uh, in terms of scheduling, you mm. just got to do what you got to do. Gotcha. We had the trailer and we had the beach. Mm. And we had to on film for the, for the first two days. We had that beach. On day three, we didn't have the beach. We had a new location. I gotcha. So like in two days, you got to get 10 scenes. And they're all in that trailer on that beach. I see. And then day three, you're not there anymore. Wow. So you had better have gotten what you needed. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's part of why they don't film a scene in order because of locations. Right. And the availability of um, being able to uh, have that location that you need. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you can't pick up the trailer and put it down onto a new beach and be like, this is the same beach. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, yeah. No, I understand. That would be that would definitely be a challenge. Yeah. So having him on set day one, you know, uh, talking about his relationship with his mom, it really helped me like come to, um, Kimberly, who is phenomenal in the film. Mm -hmm. Um, it really helped me connect with her and see her character in a, uh, in a, a light, in perspective of Greg's, which has been seasoned by X amount of years of wisdom and prayer and uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. And so coming into that scene, I mean, I I think it would have been more choppy if Greg hadn't been on set. So, 
Yeah, I bet. That's the way I see it. No, I, I, I could, I definitely, um, that makes sense to me. Um, what your mom, what do your mom and dad think of like your success and like your, because of how you grew up mm-hmm. as a Christian in a Christian family, how did they, what they think of the movie? Uh, they've loved it. Yeah. Uh, I got to invite them to the premiere and so they got to see it for the first time with me, uh, in, in Los Angeles. Hmm. at the Chinese theater. It was so cool. Wow. And um, they have always been very supportive. Because they've made sacrifices too. Absolutely. For you to be where you're at. Huge sacrifices. So I started working at the age of 14. My brother was working as an actor for like three years before me. So from the age of 14 down to 11 for those three plus years or something like that, my dad was taking trips down to Los Angeles for seven plus years and spending the summer away from his wife, away from his daughter, away from his home. And he was helping his sons try to achieve a dream of theirs. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't really think of a more selfless act in my life that I've experienced other than my dad. Right. And he really facilitated my career. Um, And then he lived with me in Los Angeles until I was um, about 20. uh, Because there was crazy stuff happening in Los Angeles. There always is. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he was saying, like, I'm not ready to leave my 18-year-old son in Los Angeles. By himself. By himself. Mm-hmm. This just doesn't seem great. Right. And so he set me up on a path to pursue my own community so that he could leave me with a foundation of Christ in uh, in Hollywood. Hmm. Because he was my Christ-like foundation. He was my family that was with me. And then I, when my dad had to go, because he just he had to go. Yeah, I'm 20 years old and right. he's like living away from his wife and his kids, and yeah. like it just it. I needed to get myself together mm-hmm. and start to execute my actions as an adult. And so um, I found community. I found friends. I found Christ. Uh, like centered people in Hollywood and then outside of the Hollywood industry as well. And, uh, and he was finally able to go home and, mm-hmm. uh, so I will, I will never, I will never not be thankful. Right. Uh, Cause I just, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be the man that I am. I wouldn't be as successful or, I mean, just, uh, you know, kids make stupid choices, bad right. mistakes. My dad really set me up in, um, in a powerful way and protected me through a lot. Yeah. I mean, you don't know what it feels like cause you haven't been a parent yet, but I mean, yep. all parents in their own way sacrifice. So for a parent, it must, I'll put myself in his shoes, but to make those sacrifices, cause I said all parents feel like they do, but to see it pay off, yeah. you know, because a lot of parents sacrifice and I'm doing this for my kids and their kids can't get out of their own way. 
And it's just like, they just don't have that success. It's like the parents, like, all I want you to do is be happy and be successful. I've given all this. And for whatever reason, it doesn't happen. But for your dad and your mom and your family to sacrifice for you and your brother to chase this, these dreams, and then to see it also be success. And then also not just success, like not horror movie success, but Christian Bates film success. That must just be unreal for them. Yeah. My, uh, my mom was like crying through the whole film. I bet. And she was just like clutching my arm because she was sitting on my right side. She's like grabbing onto me and like, it's so good. It's so good. And then like go back to watching it. Well, you know, even if it's terrible, she would have said that. She absolutely would (laughs) have. My mom, it's, I don't, it's hysterical. I, I can't trust her <laughs> right. when it comes to whether she or not the work was good because yeah. she's going to say it was great anyway, mm-hmm. which I love her for mm-hmm. because, I mean, my mom is my number one fan for sure. Yeah. She's going to watch this. How I it's guarantee to you. Oh, really? Multiple times. What's her name? Carla. Carla. Carla did a great job with your son. <laughs> I mean, you should be very proud. I know you are, but <laughs> man, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it's a... Uh, Sometimes I forget how old I am and like you're young. I'm you're younger than my kid, than my oldest son. Um, but it's uh you're doing such great work and it's been so fun to hang out and learn of the industry and and share my life with with you, the lift run shoot life. And uh it, it's funny because again, you you could be my son and I could be your dad as far as age wise, but I've learned a lot from you. And, uh, it's, uh, it's an honor to have you here and to, to learn more about the film, because as I said, I love the movie Jesus revolution. And, uh, I think it's important work that you've done. And I think that, um, the story needs to be told and shared and impact others. And it's, it's been incredible to see. And it's an honor to sit here and talk to you about about that journey with you. Thank you. Uh, it's uh, an honor to be here and be with you. Uh, there's a verse that says, uh, you know, as iron sharpens iron. And uh, I have been sharpened <laughs> like a razor's edge in these last two days. You push so hard, and I think you just prove that age is just a number. You, yeah. you, or wait, are you saying I'm old? So you're saying I, I'm just saying you have a you have an age, <laughs> but you you push past what I think most people think age restricts them from. Right. Like, no, it doesn't. Yeah. Not if you want it. Not if you work hard. I try. I try. But it's it's been great. And God, trying to fight back a cough like I've been dealing with this freaking oh, no. cough forever. But uh. <clears throat> We'll have to cut that part out, Tan. No, we don't. Actually, we don't edit anything. So that cough <laughs> you can enjoy on your on your headphones as you listen to this. But how I listen, how I end each show is like this. It's by saying it's a great honor to give you your own Hoyt, oh the keep goodness. hammering Hoyt right there, and I give that to outliers, and you are an outlier. Um, so much respect for the work that you do, but there's your brand new Hoyt. You shot so well yesterday, so you're going to take that home and on the journey to becoming a bow hunter. Thank you so much. This is an honor. 
this has been an unforgettable few days and uh, getting to learn from you just uh, what it is that you do and how hard you work. You push, you push, you push, and you don't stop. And uh, I feel I feel encouraged after this week to uh, go out there and continue uh, fighting and working hard. And uh, th- this has just been a huge blessing in my life. So thank you so much for having me. And for this, oh my gosh, this is badass. Yeah, I definitely. called the arrows a... Uh, beautiful the other day and you're like they're not really beautiful they're badass <laughs> right so i was like i learned my lesson this is badass yeah semantics right <laughs> I, I get i get what you're saying but i can't wait to follow along on your journey and see more success from you thank you for coming to oregon thank you appreciate you thank you all right keep hammering cabela's and bass pro shops is a sponsor of the podcast and that's especially powerful for me because i remember when cabela's came to town came to springfield oregon and I actually played a role in the opening of that store. Instead of cutting the grand opening ribbon with scissors, I shot it with an arrow. And it was just a monumental thing. I mean, everybody here in town was talking about, hey, are you going to go to Cabela's? Can you believe Cabela's is coming here to Springfield, Oregon? So I know what a staple those giants in the industry are. And it's actually, it's one of the first places people go when they're looking to get geared up to be to become a hunter is they go to Cabela's and buy everything they need. So I'm very excited that we've partnered together and we can help open up those outdoor and hunting opportunities to listeners of this podcast. Leupold Optics has been providing my binoculars and eyewear for the last few years. I like that it's an Oregon company and they make such high quality glass. That's all I've really used. And if you can't find what you're hunting, it's going to be tough to kill. So Leupold Optics has really played an integral part in my success these last few years. Thank you, Leupold, for supporting the podcast.